Well, good evening. We're so happy to have you here tonight. Again, happy Father's Day to all the dads here. Thanks for choosing to spend your Father's Day evening with us. Put this over here. But my name is Kelsey. If you don't know me, I think I know most of you, but I have the privilege of sharing with you tonight. And we've been in a series called Pursuit, in which we are journeying through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a tough book. It's a really complicated one, and so, so you guys are you're getting some really tough stuff here. So this is important stuff, and it's so good to learn this. And if, if there's been moments where you felt a little confused or... Or when you've been reading in Hebrews on your own, maybe at home, and felt a little confused, know that even your pastors feel that way. And we've all been talking behind the scenes about how working through Hebrews is just really tough, because it's, it's a really um, tricky book. Um, but from our previous sermons, what we've been discussing is how the book of Hebrews was written as a sermon. And the thrust of the book is really addressing this issue of spiritual laziness among people who are suffering minor persecution for following Jesus. And the person who's preaching is likely speaking of people that he knows personally, that are his friends. We don't know the exact um, identity of the writer, but we know that that's, that was the aim there. He's really urging them to fight the good fight of faith, to take hold of the eternal life to which they're called. And today we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So if you want to turn in your Bible there or get to go to your new version on your phone, um, we'll get there in a few minutes. But our focus statement for today is following Christ and participating in God's mission must become the primary agenda of our lives. I'll say that again. Following Christ and participating in God's mission must become the primary agenda of our lives. Now we're going to unpack what that means tonight. So um, what, what we're going to start out talking with tonight is this phrase that I use. I use the phrase God's mission, the mission of God. We're going to talk about what that is. So something that makes Hebrews uh, a special book is that the writer is this really brilliant thinker. It's, he, he's really, you can tell by his writing that he's a very intelligent person. And he was able to see human history as this grand narrative that's been leading up to the coming of Christ. And that it's continuing, that this narrative is continuing, and it will continue until he returns. And then the people of God will reign over earth and heaven forever. And this grand narrative of God is so important for us to understand as followers or apprentices of Jesus. There's this special Bible that, that Ike and I read to our kids, and it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I think I've talked about it in about 80% of my sermons, so I think that lady <laughs> should be paying me by now for free advertising. But um, the reason that I love it so much is because it helps children to understand that the Bible isn't just a book full of disjointed stories. It's, a, it's one big story, and then every single story is pointing towards the ultimate story, which is Jesus. Yeah, and so that's what's so special about it. We love it so much. But the, the thing, why, the reason that's so important is because children who believe that the Bible is just a bunch of disjointed stories, they're likely, when they're adults, to start believing that Christianity isn't really something that means something for every day of their lives, that it's more just a moralistic teaching about how to be a good person. And likewise, if we're adults who we don't see that there's this grand narrative in Scripture, if we're adults who don't understand the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can find that, that we don't understand that, that we don't understand what Jesus means for us every day. 
And so, so understanding this grand narrative is really important. Christianity isn't just a comfort, although it is a comfort, and it's not just a guide for moral living. It's a huge whole way of viewing life and viewing our purpose and viewing why we're here. Um, Bible stories, they have the strength of teaching us morality from the mistakes and triumphs of others, but primarily, the Bible is a story of God's mission to humanity. Is my mic cutting out? A little bit. Okay. Should we switch that? Um, it's kind of bothering me. I don't know if it's bothering anyone else. Um, but the, the Bible is primarily the story of God's mission to humanity. So it's this grand narrative of God reaching out to the world with his love and with his salvation. All right. There we go. Um, so Hebrews one, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the author in the very opening lines of Hebrews is acknowledging that God has been speaking for millennia, that he's been speaking for all of human history, and that Jesus is God's ultimate and final message. He continues in the book of Hebrews to explain that the mission of God is now in the hands of Christ's followers. So we are now the torchbearers who must carry on with God's mission in the world. I read this book. It's called The Mission of God, believe it or not, in grad school. And, um, okay, there we go. Cool. I'm learning my, how to project, so that's good. Um, but I read this book. I read this book called The Mission of God in college and grad school, and it's so excellent. I highly recommend it, and I also realize half my sermons are book recommendations, and that's also on purpose because I believe in reading. I believe that, that reading the right things helps us to think the right things and then believe the right things and manifest the right things. And so what we read really shapes our lives. So if you haven't ever read that, I'd recommend it. But the author, his name is Christopher Wright, and he really well sums up this idea of the grand narrative of Scripture. He argues that the word mission, which has been traditionally understood as like Christianity's attempts to convert other people to, to their religion, he says that instead of thinking mission, of mission that way, we should think of the word mission as this flashlight that illuminates the whole Bible, that the, whole, that the idea of mission unlocks the whole grand narrative of the canon of Scripture. So mission isn't just something we do. Mission is something that God does. And so since humanity's fall to sin in the garden, God's been on this mission to bring all people back to himself and to redeem people from the curse of sin. And so we see God's mission in the Old Testament. It's launched through the calling of a man named Abraham. And he was this channel. He was meant to be this channel of blessing for the nations. This was the birth of the Abrahamic or Jewish people who were God's chosen people. And they were called out, not just for their own good, but for the sake of the nations, that all people would know that Yahweh is God. And then God continued to reveal himself to his people through prophets, through the priesthood, through signs and wonders, through the tabernacle in the wilderness, and eventually through the temple. And if you haven't read much of the Old Testament, I would encourage you to, because it gives us such a richer understanding of God's love for us that started way before Jesus was ever born. God was on a mission to show yeah. people who he was That's long right. before Jesus appeared on the scene. 
And Wright recognizes that, that at the cross, Jesus, he accomplishes and he fulfills this mission of God that's been happening for years, that he's able to deal with human sin, that Jesus defeats the powers of evil, that he destroys death, that he removes the barriers between Jews and Gentiles, and that he heals and reconciles all creation through his death, burial, and resurrection. So he argues that fundamentally, this is going to come up on the screen, fundamentally our mission, our purpose in life, means our committed participation as, as God's people, at God's invitation and command, in God's own mission, within the history of God's world, for the redemption of God's creation. And I know that's a lot, and that's a lot of words, but that's what we're talking about tonight, is our purpose here is that we would understand that we belong in God's family and that we are a part of God's mission here on earth. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So that brings us back around to our focus statement for tonight. I know that was a very long introduction, but our focus statement for tonight is about following Christ and participating in God's mission. God's desire, his desire of his heart is to restore all humanity to right relationship with himself. And that needs to be the primary agenda of our lives. Because that's why we were created. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Is because we're supposed to be participating in that mission with him. And if you're wondering what that has to do with our scripture today, we're going to get there right now. So go ahead and go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So this is a very complicated passage. Um, it's difficult because it requires an understanding of the concept of priesthood, which is one that, that most of us are probably not familiar with, unless perhaps you were raised in the Catholic Church or another church system that has more of a hierarchical leadership structure than most modern Protestant churches. But basically, the necessity for priesthood comes from this understanding of this vast divide between the sacred and the profane, or the holy and the sinful. So perhaps more than any other people group in the ancient world, the Jewish people were aware of this stark contrast between their sinfulness and God's holiness. They were very aware of that. They had this healthy and holy fear of encountering God's presence in a state of sin. That was not okay. And we just, we don't understand that in the same way that we don't have that fear of God in the way that, they, that the ancient Jewish people did. The priesthood was instituted as a way to provide a bridge or a broker between God and man. So priests were expected to hold themselves to a higher moral standard of purity. And even though they were good moral men, they were the best 
people, they had to enter the presence of God with great trepidation and care. They didn't just walk willy-nilly into the presence of God. They were very careful. And the author's arguing here that priests can empathize with their clients because they themselves struggle with sin. They understand what it's like to struggle against sin and to try to be holy. That was a part of a priest's cross to bear. Verse 3 says, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. So in the Jewish tradition, on the Day of Atonement, that was known as the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. And the holiest person, the high priest, would enter the holiest place on earth, which was called the Holy of Holies Chamber in the Tabernacle, where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. That was where God's presence dwelt. So we live in a time where we believe as Christians that the glory of God can dwell within us and can be in our presence. And at that time, that was not the same way. God wasn't, wasn't behaving in the same way. And the reason was because Jesus hadn't come yet. And so the presence of God dwelt in one place, and it was in the Holy of Holies chamber in the tabernacle. And there was one time a year when the priest could go there. And he would pray on behalf of all his Jewish brethren and secure the atonement or forgiveness for their sins. The etymology of the dwelling or presence of God, this, I said this Hebrew word, it's Shekinah. It's kind of a funny word, but the term Shekinah is used interchangeably with the word God. But in the Jewish mind, it always spoke of the fact that God dwelt in or rested upon those who merited his favor. So the high priest was the one who was mirrored enough in the community to be close to the Shekinah glory of God. No one else was clean enough to be close. Um, there was this thick embroidered veil, and if we're going to see a, um, a diagram of the tabernacle come up in just a moment, but there was this thick embroidered veil which separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies, which was inside the tabernacle. So this is a, a portrait of the tabernacle from the, when the Jews were wandering in the wilderness. And so you have kind of an outer court, and then that, that building towards the back, you have the holy place, and then the far back portion is the Holy of Holies. And uh, what there was is there would be this, this, this thick embroidered veil that separated there, and you can kind of see it in the picture. And regular priests were allowed into the outer holy place, but the Holy of Holies could be entered only by the high priest on the Day of Atonement, which is now known as Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest would bathe, put on clean linen garments, and his robe would have these solid gold bells hanging from the hem. And the noise of the bells told the people that he was making atonement for their sins. And he would enter the inner sanctuary with a censer of burning incense, which would produce thick smoke and hide the mercy seat on the ark where the glory of God dwelt, and that's toward the back in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed bull and a sacrificed goat on the atonement cover of the ark, and he would make amends for his and the people's sins. This was a part of every single year this would have to happen. Let's pick up at verse 4. And no one takes this honor, being called to priesthood, on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews is reminding us here that priests are chosen by God. In most cases, in, in Jewish tradition, priests were chosen by God genetically. They were chosen by being born into the tribe of Levi because it was the Levites who filled priestly roles in, in uh, Judaism. 
Jesus, though, was also given the honor of priesthood by God. Um, he did not bestow priesthood on himself. He wasn't self-elected. It was given to him by God the Father. And the author uses two verses from the Psalms here. So he's quoting the Psalms when he says, You are my son, today I have become your father, and you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we learned throughout our series, we've been learning that the, the author of Hebrews, he contends throughout the book that the Psalms should be read as pertaining to Jesus. Certain Psalms, not all of them, but certain Psalms should be read that way. So the verses spoken here are interpreted as being said from God the Father to Jesus. Verse 6 says, you are a priest forever. And in ancient Judaism, um, becoming vested as a priest, it constituted an irreversible change in, in role for life. It was a lifetime commitment. And in Jesus' case, the forever change in role takes on a different meaning because not only is his call to priesthood uh, permanent, it's not only irreversible, but it's also eternal. So Jesus is not just a priest for life, he's an eternal high priest forever. Um, and we learned last week um, when Pastor Ike, my husband, spoke that, that Jesus is different from any high priest who came before him because he's the perfect high priest because he's not tainted by sin in the same way that every other priest was. And we're told that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a bit of a mysterious figure in the Bible, and I'm not going to go deep into that tonight because later on there's more in Hebrews, and we'll be, we'll be going more into that later. Um, but Melchizedek is basically, he was a priest who served the God of Israel without having any connection or knowledge of the people of Israel. He came to a knowledge of, of Yahweh because God revealed himself to this man, aside from the tradition of Judaism. And Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was an example of an unconventional type of priest in the sense that he wasn't born into the Levitical priesthood. So, so the author is arguing here that God chooses priests. It's not God doesn't just have one way of choosing priests. And he chose Jesus specially as a priest in the same way that he chose Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews is, is arguing that priests can be chosen in multiple ways, spiritually, genetically, however God wants to do that. Because Jesus is this final and forever high priest, that's such good news for us because that means he's able to bridge the gap between God and humanity once and for all. That we now, we no longer fear God in the same way that the, that the ancient Israelites did because we can have unhindered access to God because of Jesus. We don't need to fear God's holiness. We can have a relationship with God because Jesus, our great high priest, has secured salvation and relationship with God forever. We have intimacy with God because of Jesus. And that is such good news. That should lead us to reverence and worship and obedience. Last week, I spoke about this. He said that he spoke from Hebrews 4, which says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We can have confidence because Jesus has been that intermediary for us once and for all, forever. And he's our great high priest forever. That's such good news. Now, although Jesus, he was unlike other priests and that he was morally blameless he was the perfect high priest he is like he was like other high priests and like us as well in the sense that he was not immune to suffering or temptation so in jesus we have a high priest who's able to empathize with our weaknesses and we talked to, we've talked about that a little bit already in this series 
But the author of Hebrews shows us here that in Jesus, we also have a model for how to respond to suffering. That we have a model for how to respond to temptation and suffering in life. The word here, it says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Jesus learned to respond to suffering by pouring out his heart to God. He learned that the antidote to, to suffering and stress and worry is to passionately cry out to God the Father for help and comfort and salvation. His habits of prayer are an example of his holiness that we should emulate. And Jesus, he understood something so crucial. It was, it was, he was able to respond that way because he understood that hardship isn't a sign of God's displeasure. Hardship doesn't mean that God's left us or that he doesn't love us. There's nothing contradictory about being God's child and enduring trials. Actually, it's this refining process of discipline that God uses for our betterment. And not all hardship is caused by God at all, but all hardship is an opportunity to learn obedience. That's and right. deep reliance on God in prayer. Even Jesus, the word says, even Jesus, being in very nature God, learned obedience through his sufferings. Even Jesus, who was perfect, learned through his sufferings. And we should be less concerned by trials that come from doing life right and more concerned about lack of discipline that comes from an easy life. Good parents understand this, right? Good parents are people, speaking of dads today, good dads are people who allow their children to encounter obstacles and help them to overcome them. They help them. They don't shelter their kids from, from that because they know that allowing their children to walk through hardship, to allow their children to, to have to walk, to push through pain, that their kids are going to become stronger and better people because of that. And also, good parents refrain from indulging their children with too much blessing because they realize that an easy life will never result in the kind of character that forms the best type of human beings. We need discipline. We need some hardship in life. Now, no one would wish, no good parent wishes unendless suffering on their children, but, but good parents realize that some hardship is good discipline, and that's, that's a good thing for their child to endure. Now, I said something a minute ago that may be a little confusing. I said that Jesus learned obedience, and and that's a confusing thing to say, because what does it mean for someone to learn obedience when they're perfect? How can you be blameless and perfect and still learn? That's, that's a little bit of a confusing thing. But what this is talking about is it's referring to Jesus' internal will. So Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's not half and half. That's kind of a heresy that's thrown around a lot in the church. But he's fully God and fully human. And so because of that... He has an internal will, just like we do. Jesus has an internal will. And Christ shares in our struggle in the sense that we struggle against our own will, and we weigh our will whether against God's will and decide whether or not we're going to go God's way. We have to look at our own will and compare that to God's will, and we have to decide which way we're going to go. So we know that Jesus was apart from sin, so we can obviously conclude that he chose the right way, he chose God's will, he always chose God's will. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have to struggle to overcome his own desires. And in that, that way, he's like us. He's, he struggled just like us. When God called Jesus to die, he had to overcome the most powerful of all human instincts, which is the instinct towards self-preservation. 
right? That's, that's inherent in us. We're born with that. We want to protect ourselves. We want to make sure that we keep living, that we survive, that our lives are good. And Jesus had to overcome that. He still had that will in him. And he had to do that. And so following in Jesus' footsteps, that, that means that we're going to have to discipline ourselves to do the same. We're going to have to discipline ourselves to overcome that will that wants to go the way that's opposite of the way that God wants us to go. Instead of seeking our will, we seek his. We follow Christ's will and we get on board with God's mission. That's what I was talking about earlier. God's mission to, to reconcile the whole world to himself. Instead of praying and hoping that God will get on board with our mission. So following Christ and participating in God's mission must become the primary agenda of our lives. Let's return again to verse 8. There's another confusing phrase here that the author uses. He says, once made perfect... He, meaning Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In Hebrews, the word perfection, it's akin to the word completion. So we need to read it a little differently here. Um, so although Jesus was born and died as morally blameless, his death signifies the completion of his purpose. So his mission, his mission on earth. Christ's perfection in the sense of his mission or destiny is found in his exaltation after death. So that's what it means by perfection, is Jesus' exaltation after death. Christ's willingness to overcome his own desires and follow the will of God, that should compel us to do the same, because we've seen it modeled. Not only did Jesus allow himself to walk to Golgotha and be hung on a cross, but he stayed there. And that's what I find so amazing, is because we are people who we might at first say, yes, God, but so often we struggle to follow through. So often we struggle to keep going when it gets actually hard, when it hurts. And, and he didn't do that. He stayed there. He could have, he could have, like, people were mocking him and saying, you could call down a bunch of angels to save you if you could do all this stuff, then why don't you do it now? And he could have done that. But he didn't. He chose to stay there because he was obeying his father. He was doing it out of obedience for his father and out of love for you. He had two excellent reasons to stay there. And laying down our will to follow Christ and participating in God's mission in the world, it's not an easy thing. We've been talking about this a lot lately. It seems that everything in the world is fighting against us doing that. That, that the world, our flesh, and the devil are all pointing us towards a life about us. Of self, a life of self-service, self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment. And even when we love Jesus and we make steps towards a life fully sold out for his kingdom and his purpose... Our love and our passion can grow cold as we experience rejection or suffering for following Christ. It's an easy thing to have happen. And that's why intimacy with Jesus, with the Lord, is so important. Because like Christ, our response to joy and suffering alike should be to run into the arms of God the Father to receive all that we need. That's good. There's this reciprocal relationship that God desires for us. This deeply responsive relationship between human beings and himself. That's why he sent Jesus, is because he wants us to have that reciprocal, responsive relationship with him. He's not hurt by our anger. He's not intimidated by our sadness. He's not put off when we're angry or sad. He wants to hear all of that. He wants all of us. He wants us to take every single thing to him. And only in doing that will we have the strength to do what I'm talking about tonight, to follow Jesus and to embrace his mission. Only then will we have the strength for that. In my studying this week, I found this definition of faith that I think is so relevant for what we're talking about today. It's going to go up on the screen so you can read along. But it says, faith, then, is a deeply 
responsive hearing of God's voice or will as it comes to humans in the circumstance of their worldly existence. Such faith is obedience because it is a hearing that overcomes the human reluctance to move into a larger and more frightening world and the human preference to live within the comfort zone. So faith, I think we've traditionally thought of faith as just being belief or assent to something. So people have said, oh yeah, I have faith in Jesus. And what they mean by that is that they believe. They believe that Jesus is real. They believe that he's the son of God. But faith is so much more than that. Faith is saying, God, I will be responsive to what you have to say in my life. It's taking the time to listen. It's putting yourself in a position where you can hear from him and where you know your answer is going to be yes. That's what real faith is. Faith isn't just belief. Faith is, is action. Faith is putting your belief into action. And it's going out of our comfort zone to, to be able to see God's will be done on earth. Following Christ and participating in God's mission must become the primary agenda of our lives. Well, we're going to go to a time of application. I just have a few, a few little practical things that we can do starting this week to help us to do this. And um, the first thing is we can follow Jesus' example and pursue prayer. Pursue prayer. We've been talking about that a lot lately in, in several of our sermons, but pursuing prayer. Prayer is the way that we stay close to Jesus. It's the way that we hear his heart for other people. If we're busy and we don't, and prayer is not a part of our lives, we're naturally going to just veer into our own will and our own way. That's just natural. And that's not you. That's not just you. That's everybody. That's everyone. But if we are having an intentional prayer life where we have a constant flow of communication towards God, we are going to find ourselves ha- having more and more of his desires overcome us and seeing his desires start to be manifested in our life as we are open to prayer. And if you're not someone who's super comfortable with prayer, that's okay. Prayer doesn't need to be anything complicated. That's actually a gift I had of, I was born, you know, into, well, I, my, my family came to know Christ when I was four or five years old. And so I was raised learning that prayer was just kind of something you could do wherever you were, no matter where you, what you were thinking, just kind of turning your thoughts into prayers. And that's always been my style of prayer. I'm not much of a, like, get down on my knees in my room with quiet. That's just not something that I've had the privilege of in my life very much. But And I think that's great, too. But you could pray anywhere. You could pray when you're driving to work. You can pray when you're in the shower. You can pray when you're doing your makeup. You can pray when you're brushing your teeth. It's not complicated. It's just talking to God. It's saying, God, what do you think about this? And, and, and letting him, and being quiet too, so he can respond, because he will. It's just sometimes we don't give him enough time to do that. The second piece of application today is reframe suffering. Reframe suffering. So there's suffering in life. It's just a part of life, and it's something that's going to happen. Um, there's some suffering that, that God, you know, you can tell, you can immediately see why God's allowing it, and there's other suffering that you don't understand, and, you know, whatever that suffering is, um, I think this this passage really gives us a word about that, of how we should respond. We should respond to our suffering by crying out to God. And it says, that's it's right. saying fervent prayers, weeping. I mean, that's what, that's what the word says. It says that Jesus wept. He cried out to God. He wasn't quiet. He yelled. He yelled his prayers to God. That's how passionately he was. He understood that God could take it. He wasn't trying to hide how he felt. And that's, that's how we should respond to our suffering, is we should realize that God can use our suffering for our good. Yeah. 
that God can use our suffering for our good, for the building of our character. He can use it to bless other people. And so reframing our suffering, realizing there's a purpose to this. God wants to use this in my life. That's huge. That's that's how we can we can get through those hard times in life where it seems like, why is this happening? You know, just start, and even just prayer can help with that too. Just asking God, God, reveal to me how you want to use this suffering for your glory. Reveal to me how you want to use this suffering to build your kingdom, God. Reframing suffering. And finally, um, the last point of application is listen and obey. Listen and obey. So something that is so key to this passage is that Jesus was always open. He was always open to what God wanted to do in his life. And that's how we should be as well. We should be people who are asking God, who are fervently asking God, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me to be part of your mission in the world? What is it that you especially made me to do? And and then do it. Obey. Be a person who immediately obeys. And if you don't have a really specific answer right away, do it anyway. Do the things that the Bible tells you to do. You know, I think that's one of our biggest hang-ups sometimes as Christians is that we're waiting for God to give us this special word for us. And that happens sometimes. And when it does, it's awesome. But sometimes God's like, you already know. It's in the word. The word says to to go and, and share my word with people. Go and love people. My word says to build my kingdom on earth. My word says to participate in my mission. So we already know what to do. And it's okay to ask God for for further clarification on where to go and exactly where our position is. That's great. You can do that all you want, but but do it. Get on board. And, and in my life, something that I've noticed is that when you take that step of obedience, when you do the thing, even if it's not the exactly perfect place or the exact perfect situation for your personality or whatever it is, when you step forward in faith and participating in God's mission and obeying his voice, that's when he starts to tell you more of the specific things. Because he's seen that you're faithful, and he's seen that you're obedient. And then he, he shows you more. He shows you the next thing and the next. And, and these things don't need to be huge. You know, I think sometimes we can get paralyzed, too, by thinking, well, I'm not ready right now to, to plant a church, or I'm not ready right now to go be a missionary in a foreign country. But, but it doesn't have to start with some big, big gesture towards the Lord. It can start with being a faithful volunteer. Our people here, you guys who volunteer at our church, that you are contributing to the kingdom of God on a weekly basis. And that's so important. It can be telling your coworkers about Jesus and inviting them to church. It can be that you pray for your neighbors and have them over for dinner and are hospitable to them and share with them the love of Jesus. God can use you in so many little ways throughout your week. And so don't let the enemy make you think that you have to come up with this big, awesome plan before you're able to obey God and to follow him and to participate in his mission. So if you'll stand, I want to pray for us and just kind of commission us in in this mission of God. And I just want to pray. I'm going to pray that God would, would reveal to each one here that as I'm praying that you would just open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit might speak to you as we pray that that you would ask God to speak and, and, and show you areas in your life where maybe you're just kind of off mission a little bit. You know, that's easy for it to happen. Where we where we want to love Jesus, we want to follow him, but then we just get distracted and we get going our own way. And so let's, let's just pray tonight that God would reveal to us, God, where can I make my life more closely aligned with your mission and your purpose and follow Jesus' example? Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, we come to you, and God, I thank you so much that you, Jesus, chose to stay on that cross. Lord Jesus, thank you that you chose obedience. Thank you that you chose, even though your will might have, have at times risen up and, and made you want to go another way and save yourself and think about yourself, Lord, you said yes. You said yes to the will of God the Father. You obeyed, and we thank you for that. We thank you that because of your obedience, because of your sacrifice, we have life. We have access to God. We can have a reciprocal and responsive relationship with God the Father because of you, Jesus. Thank you so much for that sacrifice, Lord. And God, I just ask right now that by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to each person here, just speak to each heart, and show them, Lord, where, where they can align their lives better with your mission, Lord. Where are the areas, God, where we have we've kind of just gotten distracted, Lord, where we've gotten caught up in our own plans, in our own purposes, in glorifying ourselves, Lord? Where are those areas where, where we've just been tired by life, where we've just been weary? And God, we want you to come in and show us your purpose. We want you to come in and, and get us on mission, get us on board with what you're doing. Lord, we want to get on board with what you're doing. And so I pray that you reveal that. Lord, that you even just right now, people who might feel like, I don't feel like I have I have vision from God, or I don't feel like I have direction. Lord, would you just speak a little word right now of the next step, of the next step in your mission, the next step in following you? Would you speak that, God? Would you show each one your purpose for them? And I pray that as we walk in obedience, Lord, as we do the things that we know that we're supposed to do, that we know that your word has taught us, the things that you've spoken through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would show yourself faithful, that you would show yourself to be such a great companion and comforter in those things, Father, and that you would also speak to each one about their unique giftings, about the things that you've put in them, and the way that you want to use them in your kingdom for your glory, God, because each one, you've given something that the world needs, you've given something that, that the church needs, God, and so I just pray that you would speak that value and that love over each person here tonight. And God, I just pray, whoever, anyone who's here, who's, who's struggling, Lord, who's, who's going through a hard week, who's um, struggling with illness or discouragement, Lord, I just pray that you would lift those up in Jesus' name. Lift them up, Lord. May they feel comfortable and confident, crying out to you for everything they need. And God, would you meet their needs in accordance with your abundant riches. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us good gifts, and we just trust you to give good gifts to each one here right now. In Jesus' name, amen.